Valley is a monthly podcast where your host Scott takes a look at key events and personalities that shaped one of the most influential, vibrant, tumultuous and swinging decades in history. Join us as we celebrate the 1960s with the stories surrounding the music and news events of the decade that shook the world. A world of worldwide upheaval, the continuing space race and the death of Hollywood's biggest sex symbol. The year would witness one of the most devastating air disasters as an Air France Boeing 707 would crash in Paris. John Glenn would become the first American to orbit the Earth and Albert Sabine would develop the first oral polio vaccine. Algeria, Burundi and Jamaica would all gain their independence this year and the Telstar satellite would provide the first live transatlantic television pictures. Along with an escape from Alcatraz, the A6 murders and the Cuban Missile Crisis bringing the world closer than it's ever been to all-out nuclear war, the soundtrack of the year was provided by Elvis Presley, Cliff Richard and the Tornadoes. Oh, and a certain group from Liverpool released their first major single this year as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Rainbow Valley is proud to present the story of the hits and the headlines of 1962. I'm not only a fighter, I'm a poet, I'm a prophet, I'm the resurrector, I'm the savior of the boxing world. If it wasn't for me, the game would be dead. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. They think it's all over. It is now. It's good. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for man. began in devastating fashion. On the 13th of January 1962, a man called Shukamia arrived in Cardiff on a train from Birmingham. 
He phoned into Britain the day before on a plane from Pakistan where a smallpox epidemic had claimed hundreds of lives that winter. Though he carried a vaccination certificate, he brought the deadly virus to Wales. Despite 900,000 people being vaccinated, the disease would claim a total of 19 lives. The carrier, Shukamia, would however survive. De Havilland Trident jet plane made its maiden flight in January, and this month also saw the death of legendary mobster Lucky Luciano. January 1962 was also notable in the history of the Beatles, for it was in January that the group was famously turned down by Decca, with Dick Rowe saying that guitar groups were on their way out, Mr Epstein. It was also the year that witnessed the death of former band member Stuart Sutcliffe in Hamburg. October would see the release of the group's first official single, Love Me Do, with P.S. I Love You on the B-side, it peaked at number 17 in the chart. Come on a safari with me Come on a safari with me Early in the morning 
The Algerian crisis continued in 1962 with a widespread daylight bombing campaign by OAS terrorists in France. In Algiers itself, 12 people died when a bomb destroyed the headquarters of a group opposed to the OAS. As the year progressed, the Gaulle pledged to the nation in a TV broadcast that he would bring peace to Algeria. However, the unrest continued and a general strike was declared in February as half a million people joined a funeral march for eight people killed during the rioting. Killings continued in Algiers with the OAS secret army of die-hard French settlers and rebellious French officers under ex-general Raoul Salin stepping up its desperate tactics to prevent Algerian independence. As the riots broke out in France, bombs were exploded in several Algerian cities. The French government sent in 40,000 troops into the city and launched a ruthless offensive intended to crush the armed insurrection there. Ex-General Edmund Juhol, one of four OAS commanders and 12 of his staff were captured following a seven-hour battle and despite the fact that a referendum had been agreed allowing the French and Algerians to decide whether the country should be independent or keep its current status, Ex-General Salan ordered his OAS extremists to make all-out war and urged the French troops to join him. Salan was eventually captured and flown back to France and to the amazement and indignation of the French population, he escaped death by firing squad. A Paris military tribunal found him guilty, but in view of unexplained extenuating circumstances, it sentenced him only to life imprisonment. Eventually, the OAS terror campaign ended in June after concessions by Muslim leaders but certain factions of the OAS were determined to cripple an independent Algeria. Sabotage attacks on oil resources in June set ablaze oil wells at Hassi Touareg deep in the Sahara. Fierce fighting continued between Muslims and Europeans in Iran before eventually on the 3rd of July, 132 years of French rule in Algeria came to an end with a brief declaration signed by Charles de Gaulle. He solemnly recognised the independence of the North African country that had been considered an integral part of France, so ending a conflict which had recalled him from retirement to rule the Republic again. Six million Algerians took part in the referendum with the final vote in favour being a staggering 99%.
issues in Africa this year. In Tanganyika, President Julius Nyeri resigned because of opposition to his two moderate policies. In East Africa, the United Nations trusteeships of Rwanda and Burundi became independent. And in Ghana, President Nkrumah escaped unhurt from two assassination attempts this year. In southern Rhodesia, Prime Minister Sir Edgar Whitehead issued an order banning the Zimbabwe African People's Union as a terrorist organisation. This followed a year of violence and intimidation directed at blacks who, according to a government white paper, showed insufficient enthusiasm for Zappa and its policies. Throughout the year, there are over 30 petrol bomb attacks on Africans and their homes, and 18 schools as well as churches and welfare centres. The violence took place against the background of controversy over constitutional reform, with the white voters pressing for Britain to surrender its reserve powers to veto southern Rhodesia legislation, in particular any that could have affected the position of the African majority. In October, independence was declared in Uganda, ending 62 years of British rule. nationalist leader, known as the Black Pimpernel for his resourcefulness in evading arrest, was jailed for five years. He had been found guilty of incitement and leaving South Africa illegally. Court was told that Mandela had been the mouthpiece and mastermind behind a call for a national strike. When the strike failed, Mandela abandoned non-violent resistance and helped to found the Spear of the Nation movement. He was smuggled out of South Africa to speak at an Africa Freedom Conference in Addis Ababa, just when the Spear of the Nation began sabotage attacks. Why I can't give him all my love He's always good to me 
a diggin' his hole, all in the ground. So big and sort of round it was, and there was I, digging it deep. It was flat at the bottom, and the sides were steep. Went along, comes this bloke in a bowler, which he lifted. And Tragedy struck Peru in January, when over 2,000 people were killed after a massive avalanche of rocks and ice buried an entire mountain village and several settlements in the northwest of the country. Millions of tons of snow, rocks, mud and debris tumbled down the extinct volcano of Huascaran, Peru's highest mountain in the Andes range. I ask, what a liberty, eh? Nearly bashing right in the bowler. In less than eight minutes, the entire village of Ramraherka, along with pretty much all of its 500 inhabitants, were wiped off the map. Standing up there so grand. The landslide began after storms battered the country. Storms that would continue for several days and hamper the relief effort. A vast wall of rocks and ice, about 40 foot high and a thousand yards long, roared down the river Santa, causing it to rise by 30 feet and carry everything in its path down the Rio Santa Valley. That's the place Originally, it was estimated that up to 2,500 died during the tragedy. But it wasn't until after the floodwaters subsided that it became apparent that this figure was nearer to 4,000. So big and sort of round it was, it's not there now. The ground's all flat and beneath it is the blow in the bowler hat. And that's that. Also in January, the trial of James Hamratty took place at Bedfordshire Assizes in Bedford. Hamratty, known as the A6 murderer, entered a plea of not guilty. He was accused of shooting Michael Gregston, a physicist, twice in the head the previous August. Mr Gregston's companion, Valerie Storey, was raped, shot and left for dead. Miss Storey had been paralysed from the waist down following the attack and had managed to pick out Hamratty an identity parade from her hospital bed. Hamratty was not charged with the attack on Miss Storey, who eventually managed to give evidence from a wheelchair during the trial. The prosecution alleged that Hamratty, armed with a gun, confronted Gregston and Storey in a cornfield in Berkshire. Hamratty then forced Gregston to drive 60 miles to Dead Man's Hill at Clophill in Bedfordshire, where he shot the physicist twice in the head. He then raped and shot Valerie Storey. From the time of his arrest and throughout the trial, Hamratty maintained that he was innocent and told police that he was staying at a guest house in North Wales at the time of the attack. The trial lasted three weeks and over 70 witnesses were called before eventually, in February 1962, Hamratty was found guilty and sentenced to death. After a failed appeal, he was eventually hanged in Bedford Prison in April 1962. The story of the A6 murderer refused to go away, however, as members of Hamratty's family were convinced of his innocence and set out to clear his name. In 1999, the case was sent back to the Court of Appeal after Hamratty's family uncovered new witnesses to support his alibi. The court ordered exhumation of Hamratty's body and his DNA tested against traces found on Valerie Storey's underwear and a handkerchief that was wrapped around the gun. Scientists concluded that the DNA was two and a half million times more likely to belong to Hamratty than to anyone else. 
Eventually, in 2002, Hamrati's conviction was upheld at the Court of Appeal and a bid to take the case to the House of Lords was rejected. sponsored space launch took off from Cape Canaveral. On board the Delta rocket, a medium altitude satellite, Telstar 1, was placed into its scheduled two and a half hour orbit around the Earth. The following day, the satellite relayed its first non-public television pictures back to Earth. Two weeks later, on July the 23rd, it relayed the first publicly available live transatlantic television signal. The broadcast was shown in Europe by Eurovision, and in North America by NBC, CBS, ABC and the CBC. The first public broadcast featured CBS's Walter Cronkite and NBC's Chet Huntley in New York and the BBC's Richard Dimbleby in Brussels. The first pictures were the Statue of Liberty in New York and the Eiffel Tower in Paris. This was followed by a short segment of the televised game between the Phillies and the Cubs at Wrigley Field, followed by a short address by President Kennedy. spy plane pilot shot down over Russia in May 1960 was freed from prison on the 10th of February this year. The former US Air Force captain walked into Berlin across a bridge separating the city's east and west sectors in exchange for a Russian spy that had been jailed in the US. Colonel Rudolf Abel had served five years of a 30-year sentence for running a spy ring in the United States. Attorney General Robert Kennedy had commuted Abel's service two weeks previously, 
and yet the Russians would continue to deny any knowledge of Colonel Label, stating that Khrushchev had freed Powers simply as a goodwill gesture. At the same time as Powers released, the Eastern Bloc also freed American student Frederick Pryor, who had been held in East Germany without charge for six months. Following Powell's freedom, he was however not universally recognised as a hero in the US. Some people believing that he should not have allowed himself to be captured alive in the first place. In addition, despite Powell's being cleared of any blame for the loss of the U-2 by both the CIA and the Senate, he felt cold-shouldered by his former employer, and he ended up working as a helicopter pilot for a Los Angeles TV station. This time I'm gonna take it myself. Powell's was killed in a helicopter crash in 1977, and buried in the military cemetery at Arlington, Virginia. In addition, after relentless campaigning by his family, he was posthumously awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross, Department of Defense Prisoner of War Medal, and National Defense Medals on the 40th anniversary of his plane being shot down, all of which he had been denied during his lifetime. February 1962, finally the US began to catch up with the Russians in the space race after Marine Lieutenant John Glenn landed safely in the Atlantic Ocean after successfully orbiting the Earth. Ten months and ten days after Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first man in space, John Glenn circled the globe at more than 17,000 miles per hour, travelling at a height of 81,000 miles. Throughout the flight, Glenn reported minor difficulties with the automatic altitude control and ended up having to control nearly two of the orbits himself. Glenn's progress was monitored by 18 ground stations around the world, with messages from the astronaut being transmitted by radio stations across the United States and the UK. His spaceship, Friendship 7, landed 240 miles northwest of Puerto Rico following the 4 hour and 56 minute journey. 24 American ships were waiting to pick up Glenn and his craft from various locations around the globe, following a mission that had been delayed a total of 10 times over 61 days. John Glenn would go on to become Democratic Senator for Ohio 24 years before returning to space in November 1998. On board the Space Shuttle, he became the oldest man in space on a nine-day mission at the grand old age of 77.
15th of March 1962, what is regarded even today as one of the biggest by-election upsets in British political history, took place in Orpington, in Kent. Here, the Liberals took control from the government in their first by-election victory in four years. Eric Lubbock won the seat with a majority of 7,855 marking a swing of nearly 22% away from the Conservatives and the total number of Liberal MPs to seven. It was the first seat the government had lost since the general election in 1959 and was regarded at the time as its biggest humiliation since the Conservatives returned to power in 1951. Eric Lubbock eventually lost the seat in the 1970 general election and it has remained in conservative hands ever since. Using new style, a pedestrian crossing was launched in London this month. The first Panda Crossing was officially opened opposite Waterloo Station by the Minister of Transport Ernest Marples, along with a further 44 crossings across the country. Tonight we'll try to say goodbye again, but I know it's not over. I'll call tomorrow night. I can't let you go. 
why pretend? Just walk on by, wait on the corner. I love you, but we're strangers when we meet. Just walk on by, wait on the corner. I love you, but we're strangers when we meet. I love you, but we're strangers when we meet. Night. In the night, there are sights to be seen. Stars like jewels on the crown. On the 26th of April, the Americans managed to land a rocket on the far side of the moon. Ranger 4 was far more successful than its predecessor Ranger 3, launched in January, which missed the moon completely by 23,000 miles. The aim of the mission, three years after the Russians achieved the first ever lunar impact in 1959, was to send back television pictures of the lunar surface. However, two hours after the launch on the 23rd of April, all internal power on board the spacecraft failed. The television pictures on board were designed to begin operating when the rocket came within 2,500 miles of the lunar surface, 40 minutes before impact and then send an image of the moon back to Earth every 13 seconds. It was also equipped with a seismometer and radio transmitter designed to be released in a small capsule from the rocket before impact and land on the moon in order to measure the frequency of natural earthquakes on the body of the moon itself. The images and the information that should have been sent back would have been vital for the research into the possibility of any future manned lunar landing. The Americans would try repeatedly and would not be successful until Ranger 7 two years later, which managed to send back more than 4,000 images before crashing into the moon. On graduation day You handed me your book I signed this way Roses are red, my love Violets are blue Sugar is sweet, my love But not as sweet as you the 3rd of June saw the worst ever recorded air disaster involving one aircraft when a chartered Air France Boeing 707 headed for Atlanta, Georgia, crashed on takeoff at Orly Airport, killing 130 people on board. Eyewitnesses described how the plane, travelling about 200 miles per hour, seemed unable to take off, barely rising above 7 feet off the ground. 
Its right wing dipped and hit the ground and the plane crashed into gardens and an empty house before exploding about 150 feet from the end of the runway. Miraculously, two of the ten crew survived. The air stewardess, who had been sitting at the rear of the plane, escaped with minor injuries having been found in the intact tail section of the plane. The intense heat of the burning wreckage prevented local residents from helping the rescue effort and it was an hour and a half before firefighters could reach the victims. You roses are red, my love. Incredibly, three hours after the disaster, another steward was found alive in the wreckage, but he died later in hospital. Sweet, my love, good luck, may God bless you. Is that your little girl? She looks a lot like you Someday some boy will write In her book to roses are red My love, violets are blue Sugar is sweet, my love But not as sweet as you May 19, 1962, they sold out Madison Square Garden to celebrate the president's 45th birthday. The Democrats raised a million dollars to resuscitate their bankrupt party, and Marilyn Monroe raised a hundred million eyebrows. Mr. President, the late Marilyn Come outside 
come outside There's a lovely moon out there On the 12th of June 1962, three prisoners managed to escape from Alcatraz using spoons and a homemade raft. Frank Lee Morris and brothers Clarence and John Anglin, all convicted of bank robbery, made their escape from San Francisco's notorious high security island prison using an ingenious method. The three put dummy heads made from a mixture of soap, toilet paper and real hair into their beds to fool the guards as they made their nighttime inspections. They then cut through the back of their cells with sharpened spoons, crawled out and onto the roof through a ventilation duct, climbed down a pipe to the ground and then made their way to the shore of the island. The gang then used a makeshift raft made from driftwood and raincoats sewn together to make pontoons in order to float away from Alcatraz. Over 100 armed troops joined the military police in the search for the three men. Morris and the Anglin brothers were never recaptured. An opinion is divided as to whether they succeeded in their escape, were drowned or eaten by sharks. The FBI spent years investigating the case and eventually concluded that the men had failed. In March the following year, after 13 escape attempts, Alcatraz was closed by the Kennedy administration after it was deemed too expensive to run. For romancing, come outside. Lay off! Come outside. Shopping! There's a lovely moon out there. Tomorrow one. Come outside. Alright. Come outside. Not for too long. Well, we got time for a bit of slap and tickle over. Oh, I'll come minute. out for a bit of snow, eh, darling? Cool, you know, I'll be the shade. Yeah, I know, I'm getting marvellous here. I can't stop for too yeah. long now. Only five minutes, I've got to go. Yo. Do 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 down do be do down down Kama Kama down do be do down down Kama Kama down do be do down down Breaking up is hard to do Don't take your love away from me On the 31st of July 1962 violence flared at a political rally in London Former fascist leader Sir Oswald Mosley, along with members of his anti-Semitic black shirt group, was punched to the ground as the meeting opened in Ridley Road in Dalston. Police were forced to close the meeting within three minutes and made 54 arrests, including Oswald's son Max. A crowd of several thousand had gathered in the area where Sir Oswald, leader of the union movement, formerly known as the British Union of Fascists, planned to speak from the back of a lorry. As soon as he appeared from between two police buses, the crowd surged forward and knocked Sir Oswald to the ground. He tried to fight back from the cobbles before police helped him to climb onto the lorry prepared for his address. He was met by a hail of missiles including rotten fruit, pennies and stones, and people tried to storm the platform. His speech was drowned out by continuous boos and a chorus of down with the fascists. Scuffles continued as Sir Oswald was shepherded to his car and his vehicle was punched and kicked as it drove off through a gangway cleared by mounted police. Trouble started long before the meeting began as over 200 police including 10 on horseback attempted to clear an area around the lorry platform. 
It took the authorities another hour after Sir Oswald left to clear people from nearby Kingsland High Street. In the world of sport, 1962 was a World Cup year. The tournament was won by the defending world champions Brazil, who claimed their second World Cup title by defeating Czechoslovakia 3-1 in the final, becoming the second team after Italy in 1938 to successfully defend the world title. Host nation Chile defeated Yugoslavia 1-0 in the third place match to finish third. In the World Series, the New York Yankees won four games to three over the San Francisco Giants. On September the 25th, Sonny Liston knocked out Floyd Patterson two minutes and six seconds into the first round to become World Heavyweight Champion. Golf, the US Open was won by Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer gained victory in both the British Open and the Masters this year. 116th Grand National Aintree was won by Kilmore, a 28-1 shot ridden by jockey Fred Winter. And in tennis, in an All-Australian men's final at Wimbledon, Rod Laver beat Martin Mulligan 6-2, 6-2, 6-1. And Susman took the ladies' title, beating Vera Sakova 6-4-6-4. The 108th boat race was won by Cambridge by five lengths and Tottenham Hotspur beat Burnley 3-1 to win the FA Cup. this year, there was a storm of controversy surrounding American mother of four, Sherry Finkbein. Finkbein, a TV presenter from Phoenix, Arizona, had been denied an abortion in her home state following intense negative publicity surrounding her case. So, she flew to Sweden and was given a legal abortion there. The 30-year-old mother had decided to terminate her fifth pregnancy after discovering that tranquilizers she had taken in the first few weeks of her pregnancy contained the drug thalidomide. In the run-up to Ms. Finkbein's abortion, there was increasing evidence suggesting that thalidomide caused severe fetal deformities, including missing limbs, deafness, and blindness. Mrs. 
Mrs Finkbein originally had told her story to the local newspaper in the belief that it would alert mothers in the same situation to the dangers of the drug. And seal it with a kiss. She soon, however, became the focus of an intense anti-abortion campaign and worldwide public condemnation. The negative publicity resulted in a local hospital in Phoenix to withdraw a tentative offer of a legal abortion through fear that they may have been held criminally liable as the law in Arizona at this time only permitted abortions in cases where the mother's life may be in danger. Every day in a letter Sealed with a kiss Sealed with a kiss The Finkbeins took the case to the Arizona State Supreme Court, which proved to be unsuccessful, and so she flew out to Sweden, where the operation was carried out. After the operation, it was confirmed that the foetus had no legs and only one arm. On her return to Phoenix, Mrs Finkbein's local doctor refused to treat her any further and she was dismissed from her job. Her husband was suspended from his high school teaching post, their children were hounded and they received numerous death threats. Around the world, somewhere in the region of 8,000 women who had taken thalidomide as a sedative and to alleviate morning sickness, gave birth to babies with deformities. In the UK, thalidomide was available from 1958 but was taken off the market in late 1961 after tests revealed it disrupted fetal development. In addition, it would not be until 1973 that the Distillers Company Limited, who produced and marketed the drug in Britain, eventually agreed to provide a trust fund and lump sum payouts to all the children affected.
In June this year, the iconic Marvel superhero Spider-Man made his first appearance in the Amazing Fantasy comic number 15. The issue was dated for August, but it actually hit the shelves in June. Created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, Spider-Man was a teenage superhero whose nerdy alter ego Peter Parker represented adolescent concerns and teenage tribulations in a way that no other comic book superhero had been able to do previously. Many team readers connected to the character, making him one of the most popular and enduring comic series characters in history. Life is a great big Wherever there's a hang you'll find a spider On the 1st of October, two people were killed and at least 75 injured when rioting broke out of the University of Mississippi campus in Oxford. President Kennedy federalised the Mississippi National Guard to maintain order and mobilised other regular infantrymen and military police across the state line in Tennessee. The federal government had been expecting resistance from the Mississippi State Police under the governorship of Ross Barnett, who had previously defied court orders requiring desegregation. Despite Governor Barnett's assurances that his police would carry out their duties, there were reports that they had neglected to provide adequate security, and additional troops and marshals were called in. The rioting started as protesters vented their anger at the admission of James Meredith, a black American, to the university. US Marshals, military police and National Guardsmen used tear gas to take on the rioters 
who were armed with rocks, lead pipes, petrol bombs, and in some instances, rifles and shotguns. More than 100 people were arrested during the night. One US Marshal was shot in the neck and critically wounded. Cars and television trucks were smashed and burned and journalists and cameramen were beaten as rioters turned on the media. Mr Meredith remained under guard inside the campus in a university dormitory during the fighting. Meredith was eventually enrolled as the rioting continued in Oxford with further arrests and more troops being flown in and he even managed to attend his first class, a seminar on American colonial history, after being escorted through a crowd of several hundred jeering students. Eventually, over the next few days, the riots receded, and troops were eventually withdrawn from the town. However, Meredith would face continued hostility and require 24-hour protection, before eventually graduating in 1963. Once in every lifetime comes a love like two weeks in October of 1962, the world collectively held its breath as it teetered on the edge of all-out nuclear war. The Cuban Missile Crisis, as it's now become known, began on the 14th of October, when a US U-2 spy plane revealed the existence of several nuclear missiles based on the Caribbean island that were capable of reaching the United States. President Kennedy knew that he dare not invade Cuba, knowing that that action could potentially start a world war. Yet, he could not let the completion of the missile sites go ahead so close to the American shore. On Thursday, the 18th of October, President Kennedy met with Russian Foreign Secretary Andrei Gromyko and advised him that America would not tolerate Soviet missiles in Cuba. Gromyko denied the presence of any Russian weaponry on the island. Friday the 19th of October, Kennedy met with the Secretary of Defence Robert McNamara 
and the members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to discuss military options. On Monday, the 22nd of October, Kennedy announced the naval blockade of Cuba. B-52 bombers were deployed to the extent that one-eighth of them would be airborne all the time. Kennedy warned the Russians of a full retaliatory response if any missile was launched from Cuba. US military went to DEFCON 3. The following day, Khrushchev put forward that the missile sites were solely to defend Cuba against the attacks of an aggressor. Reconnaissance photos revealed that the Soviet missiles were ready for launch. The OAS, the Organization of American States, supported the decision to quarantine Cuba and Kennedy and McNamara reviewed and discussed the options of confrontation. By the Wednesday, Soviet ships had reached the quarantine line, but received radio orders from Moscow to hold their positions. There was a detailed briefing on new reconnaissance photos from Cuba and discussion of the need to disperse planes at Florida bases in the event of attacks by MiGs based in Cuba. McNamara spoke of a very dangerous situation since ships approaching the quarantine line were being shadowed by a Soviet submarine. US military went into DEFCON 2, the highest in US history. The next day, Thursday the 25th of October, 20 Russian ships set out heading towards Cuba. Khrushchev gave out explicit commands to the captains to ignore the blockade. And later that day, the first Russian ship reached the blockade. It was an oil ship and was allowed through. US Ambassador Adlai Stevenson confronted the Soviets at the UN, but they refused to answer. Still, further options were being reviewed by the Kennedy administration on how best to proceed. Options that were clearly pointing ever closer to armed confrontation. Friday, the 26th of October, 1962. 
The Executive Committee of the National Security Council received a letter from Khrushchev stating that the Soviets would remove their missiles if President Kennedy publicly guaranteed that the US would not invade Cuba. On the same day, the CIA reported that the construction of the missile sites was continuing and even accelerating. Saturday, October 27th. While one U-2 spy plane accidentally flew into Russian airspace, another was shot down over Cuba. The Executive Committee of the National Security Council received a second letter from Khrushchev, stating that in addition to a public promise not to invade Cuba, that the US removes its missiles from Turkey. Several secret exchanges between Washington and Moscow frantically took place the seriousness of the situation was finally acknowledged. Kennedy stood firm. The head-to-head battle that continued for the past 13 days finally came to an end when on Sunday the 28th of October, in a speech aired on Radio Moscow, Khrushchev announced that he agreed to remove the missiles from Cuba. He did not, however, reinforce his demand that the US missiles be removed from Turkey. Kennedy apologised for the American flight over Siberia and greeted Khrushchev's decision as statesmanlike and an important contribution to peace. It would eventually become known just how close the world came that fortnight to all-out nuclear war if it had not been for the backing down of the Russians. comes from Mariner 2, which roared off last August for its rendezvous with Venus, 36 million miles and thousands of hours away. Almost precisely on schedule, the intricate communication system begins to pick up signals from our twin planet and relay them back to Earth. Its two sensitive electronic eyes scan the mysterious cloud-wrapped surface of Venus for the 42 minutes that they are near enough. The gap is still some 21,000 miles, but satisfactorily close as astronomical distances go. It will take some time yet for scientists to decode and interpret the signals. These could possibly answer the most tantalizing questions of all space exploration. Is there life on another planet? Teenage goddess from a 
On the 21st of December, President Kennedy and British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan announced the formation of the multilateral NATO nuclear force after talks in Nassau and the Bahamas. The agreement meant the United States would sell Polaris missiles to the UK. The President made a similar offer to France in the hope of establishing a tripartite nuclear deterrent against the countries of the Eastern Bloc. Polaris, a two-stage solid-fueled rocket system, was designed to be fired underwater from a submarine, carrying a half-megaton nuclear warhead at a speed of 17,500 miles per hour. The agreement declared that the British government would construct the submarines and develop warheads for Polaris with technical support from the USA. The deal was described in the US press as a landmark in military and political development in the Western world. It was also regarded as the most constructive meeting held between President Kennedy and Mr Macmillan. However, there were now fears that Britain would be too reliant on the US for its nuclear deterrent, in spite of the fact that the nuclear element of the weapons system would be supplied by Britain. At the end of the three-day summit, the two leaders issued a joint statement. In it, Mr Macmillan made it clear that Polaris missiles would be used for international defence of NATO countries, except where Britain's supreme national interests were at stake. This phrase was designed to show the British nuclear force was politically independent of the United States. This year, we said farewell to authors Herman Hesse and William Faulkner, Eleanor Roosevelt and the actor Charles Lawton. And on the 5th of August, the world was rocked by the sudden death of Marilyn Monroe. In the last few months of her life, the Hollywood sex symbol beset by depression was under the constant care of a psychiatrist. Increasingly erratic, she lived as a virtual recluse in her home in Brentwood, Los Angeles. As well as a mental illness, Monroe had also suffered with substance misuse issues for several years and had not completed a movie since The Misfits released in 1961. For most of 1961, she found herself preoccupied with her various health problems and in April 61, she started to film Something's Got to Give for 20th Century Fox, but she was fired in early June. Fox publicly blamed her for the production's problems, 
and in the weeks just prior to her death, she attempted to repair her public image by giving several interviews to high-profile publications. She also began negotiations with 20th Century Fox on being rehired for Something's Got to Give and for starring roles in other productions. Marilyn's final day, Saturday the 4th of August, was spent at home in the company of her psychiatrist and her housekeeper, as well as her photographer Lawrence Schiller. A psychiatrist, Dr Ralph Greenson, had asked the housekeeper Eunice Murray to stay overnight to keep Munro company. At about 3am on the Saturday morning, Murray noticed that Munro had locked herself in the bedroom and was unresponsive to her calls. Dr Greenson, alerted by the housekeeper, arrived soon after and broke through the bedroom window to gain access. Upon entering, he found Marilyn dead. An autopsy later found a fatal amount of sedatives in her system and her death was ruled as probable suicide. However, despite this verdict, several conspiracy theories arose, most of which contended that John and or Robert Kennedy, with whom she allegedly had love affairs, had murdered her. These theories claimed that the Kennedys killed her or had her killed because they feared she would make public their love affairs and other government secrets she was gathering. Many years later, the housekeeper Eunice Murray would announce that Robert Kennedy had visited Marilyn on the night of her death and argued with her but the reliability of these and other statements made by Murray are at best questionable. Marilyn was laid to rest on August 8th, 1962 at the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery, where she was interred at the Corridor of Memories. Notable movies of 1962 included Lawrence of Arabia, The Longest Day, Mutiny on the Bounty, Lolita and To Kill a Mockingbird. At the Academy Awards presented in April, which would honour the movies from 1961, West Side Story dominated the evening. West Side Story was nominated for 12 Oscars, winning 10 of them, including Best Picture and Best Director. Best Actor Award this year went to Maximilian Schell for Judgment at Nuremberg, and Sophia Loren picked up the Best Actress Award, the first time an actor or actress had won for a non-English speaking role. In 1962, the world was introduced to the cinematic incarnation of Ian Fleming's super spy James Bond, which rocketed Sean Connery from B-movie bit part actor into worldwide stardom, launching a franchise that is still going strong over 50 years later. Next time, why don't you join me as I tell the story of how Doctor No eventually arrived on the big screen. 
the story of three men and their dreams, Ian Fleming, Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman. See you next time as I bring you the story of the birth of Bond on the big screen. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on Twitter at RV underscore podcast. Join our Facebook group at Facebook forward slash Rainbow Valley Podcast. Or take a look at our website, rainbowvalley.libsyn.com. You can send us your thoughts and feedback to rainbowvalleypod at gmail.com. This has been a Stinking Pools production. Yeah.